Puck Addicts Podcast. Everybody. Welcome back. This is the Puck Addicts Podcast. Uh, this is our ep- second episode, and with us today we have myself and Frost. We have Marino, and we also have uh, a new member of the show. We have Stex. Hello. So we're back. This time we have actual cover art for the show. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone who had to look at the monstrosity that I made in 10 minutes just to get it out. I think they should let you into an art school based on that alone. Like that was an absolute piece of art that deserves some recognition. It's Major. Like the, it's like the room. It was so good. It's bad. <laughs> I can't wait for the movie that gets made in like 15 years about you making it. <laughs> but with James Franco's kid playing you. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So uh, today's episode should be a little bit shorter than what we had for the first episode. Uh, but we still have a lot to discuss, but I want to open with something that was pretty bizarre that broke a few days ago from, of all places, uh, AHL Apps Notifications. Stack, so you know a little bit about what happened, so uh, why don't you go through the, the, uh, the story and just kind of explain what happened, because it was really bizarre. Okay, yeah, so uh, shout out to Sean Shapiro at The Athletic covering this one. Anyone that had the AHL app? installed they got some very interesting push notifications um one about how stewart uh, owes somebody six thousand dollars and then i also got told about how stewart zimmel threatened to punch ian bowman in the throat um so to explain this story there was a app company called buzzer apps uh which a guy called stewart zimmel he was working with. He owned them. They got bought by a company called Hockey Tech. That happened in March of 2018. As part of the sale, Zimmel, who owned Buzzer Apps, became Hockey Tech's full-time CEO. Stuart Zimmel and Ian Bowman had been working together since 2015. Ian Bowman is the developer for the app. He kind of did a lot of the, the background coding, stuff like that. So he worked briefly full-time at buzzer apps which then became hockey tech he then subsequently moved into more of a contract basis working remotely what had happened was ian bowman uh was less than happy about the workplace encouragement that stuart zimmel would put out there uh specifically referencing a screenshot that he posted on the actual app um of a slack conversation in which Stuart Zimmel, the CEO of Hockey Tech, threatened to punch Ian Bowman in the throat for not doing what he was told, basically. Now, I've, there's been bad bosses in the world before, but that seems a tad extreme. It's kind of insane that you have this company that is, is making and running the app for one of the most popular hockey leagues in the world, and you've got all this fun stuff happening in the background. Um, yes. So... It's kind of funny just because, like, people say that, oh, the NHL or NFL so-and-so league is run so poorly. But, like, are they, though? <laughs> I mean, when... we, don't, we don't have the mafia running the NHL. I mean, at least not anymore. So, <laughs> I think we have it pretty good. 
as the resident Italian of this chat, I take offense to that statement. Excuse me, I'm also Italian. I'll fight <laughs> oh, you. Oh, shit. I Today ah. I learned about Frost. Surprise. <laughs> but the, so... uh, the, the poll in me is very concerned about the amount of Italian in this chat. <laughs> if it compensates, I'm also a little bit Croatian. Yeah, mm. but if poll if polling gets the upper hand, we'll just flip flop anyways. We're all good. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. But th so this this app thing though, the, with the notifications and stuff, that wasn't that wasn't intentional. It wasn't supposed no. to go out to everyone. No, it wasn't. So Ian Bowman resigned from Hockey Deck. He got sick of dealing. Yes, after being threatened to punch in the throat, he was like, you know what? I've kind of had enough of this. <laughs> so he resigns. When he resigned, he had uh, the month of June, he had worked and he wanted to be paid for. He makes about $6,000 a month, roughly, on his contract. When he resigned, his hockey tech email address got discontinued. So he can no longer access it, he can no longer send emails. Subsequently, he had no way of contacting Stuart Zimmel. So he thought. So previously, the app allowed them to test the push notifications because they had an ability to push the notifications solely to Ian Bowman and to Stuart Zimmel. So Bowman could push a notification that only he and Zimmel would get. Apparently, at some point, that had changed, uh, unbeknownst to Ian Bowman, who then attempted to do so, so that he could be in contact with Stuart Zimmel, and ended up accidentally sending it to everybody in the world that has the AHL up. All 20 of those people. So, seemingly... 22 was... stacks, 22. Don't sell them short. I I took it off my phone afterwards, so it's back down to 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, seemingly, it's just, a, just an honest mistake that has played out in the real world. So, we will see if Mr. Bowman gets paid. I mean, I sure hope so, because... Now the entire hockey world is just like really intently focused on the <laughs> this guy's contract and making sure that he's getting paid. Well, you know, six thousand dollars is it's not it's not a small amount of money, you know. Yeah, I I, I feel bad for the guy because I mean, like he just needs he just wants to get paid. He just wants to, you know, punch a guy in the throat, and for this to not have been like you know. The whole thing it was so it's an interesting thing let's uh let's all just remember that the ahl is heavily funded by the nhl let's just be clear that it could be a lot worse like when people complain about nhl.com not working at least nobody's getting punched in the throat but people are getting threatened to scrap in the barnyard over uh offer sheets yeah i, I want to see bergevin with that with those biceps go at uh dundon with that money bags i would like i would pay to see that a little bit that would be, that would be a good scrap like that would be good well like, I, the thing I, is, I would though, like I, that. it'd be it'd be montreal in a wash though because maybe one-on-one -on -one he couldn't take tom dundon but like the rest of montreal's uh hockey operations is just swole as fuck yeah like, but like, okay, okay like, let's like, have you seen what? photos of Trevor Timmons? That guy is that guy's stacked. Yeah, but okay, we got, we the Canes got have Rod Brindamore. Yeah, yeah, me and, me and his great minds think alike right now. This is, that this is true. Rod they do Brindamore. have Rod Brindamore. I would not fuck with Rod Brindamore. I wouldn't touch, I wouldn't poke him with a 50-foot steel pole. That guy could fuck me up if night me and, and day. Br if me and uh, Rod Brindamore are walking 
towards each other on the same side of the sidewalk, I, I'll just go into oncoming traffic just to get to the other side of the street. Just, just play Frogger. It's easy. It's, it's, more, it's less of a risk with your life. <laughs> All right, so moving on, because that was crazy, but I think this trade that we're about to talk about is also kind of crazy. The, the Blackhawks and the Sabres did a deal. Uh, the Blackhawks acquired Alexander Nylander from the Sabres in exchange for Henry Yokiharu. And this move, to me, it, for sure, it came as a surprise. And to a lot of fans, definitely also. I just, I, for, for me, I don't get this trade for the Blackhawks. Like, I understand that there were... I think the main thing for this is that Jeremy Colladin, he didn't like Yokiharu as much as Joel Quinville did. And I guess Dan Bowman kind of shared the same opinion. So as soon as he came back from the World Juniors, I, uh, his ice time, you know, steadily declining. He was healthy scratched at some times. So if you were, like, intently aware of this, obviously if you were a Blackhawks fan, you'd know about this and you probably were pissed that Yoki Haru wasn't getting playing time. But only if you're an outside fan and that you're, you know, intently looking at this type of stuff. This was definitely a surprise. Before you, I'm going to let you guys get to this one, but yeah, as a Leaf fan, you know, I just like to kind of laugh at the Sabres move and then move on. But um, yeah, actually, from Buffalo's perspective, I really like this move, getting Yokoharu. I really didn't like Nylander as a prospect. I grew up in the GTHA. I went to a couple Steelheads games. I saw him play there. I was never that high on him. He hasn't really shown anything in the AHL level that jumps off the page. Yokoharu looked good at like for the limited action he played with Chicago. So I don't really get this move from the Haas perspective. I know analytics Twitter thinks this is a top four defenseman going back to Buffalo, but like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This guy's played like 45 games in the league. So let's pump the brakes a little there. But um, yeah, I just don't get this from the Hawks perspective, but I'll let you guys go into that uh, deal a little bit more there. I'm just very glad you didn't mention war because I don't think there were enough audio levels in the world to contain my <laughs> anger. Um, but yeah, like I, I love this deal for Buffalo. Like Yogi Haru, yeah, it's a very small sample size, but in that sample size, he performed exceptionally well. You know, he, he played a lot of time with Keith, and that helps a lot. Um, but, you know, he did still play those minutes and still did perform. Colleton was obviously not such a fan of him for whatever reason and up with him going back to the AHL for a bit. And I, I've read some sort of stuff that had come out from uh, some Chicago beat writers about how apparently there was concerns about his defensive game and concerns about like him thinking he was a lot better than he was because of that early success, but I don't know I don't know if that's necessarily the truth or if that's just what the team's putting out there to try and make it seem a little bit better. For me... My issue is not necessarily moving Yoki Haru. I think he's a great prospect, and pretty much I'd move anyone on that blue line in Chicago before him except Keith. Keith's the only one I value higher than him. But I don't. that doesn't mean you can't necessarily move him. But to move him for Alex Nylander is baffling. Alex Nylander is... He's going to be a top-six NHLer, or he's going to be nothing. He has... Like, his, his work off the puck is poor. His skating is okay when he wants it to be. He, at, at the AHL level, like, I've, I've watched a decent amount of Rochester, and he just doesn't show much. Like, I understand he's young, and he's played in that league for two, three years, like, as a 
younger person, but you think Yogi Haru has taken first pairing minutes in the NHL and excelled. And he is a year younger than Nylander. And I understand everyone develops at different speeds and whatever, but Nylander has been man-sized since he was drafted. I just don't see what Chicago sees in Nylander. It definitely, for Chicago, like, I, I just don't get it. Obviously, from what I was saying before, like, if the coach isn't going to use him, then I, like, it at least sort of makes sense why you'd want to trade him, but I think Yogi Haru has a whole lot more value than Alex Nylander. It's just, he's not, he's not an exciting prospect. I don't think he's going to pan out for all the reasons that you'd mentioned before. Um, yeah. One thing I do want to mention, and Marino, you're probably going to want to cover your ears for this, but... Since last year's draft, where they took Rasmus Stalin first overall, I think Buffalo's done a really great job. Jason Botterill's done a really great job of reshaping what their defense looks like. You know, the case for a second there, for a second there, I thought you were going to say that he was the better Nylander, and I was really going to have to cover my ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you going back to hockey Twitter, if you believe hockey Twitter, then I mean William Nylander's oh, already oh, I traded. Oh, I saw the our hockey tweet, or I saw the hard hockey, our hockey takes. They were out there, baby. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Rasmus Dahlin. They got Brandon Montour, Colin Miller, uh, Marco Scandella. I mean, like he's he's decent. He came from it was the Vegas expansion, I think, right around that. Uh, time. No, Scan- no, Scandella came from Minnesota. It was Scandella and Pominville for Tyler Ennis and Marcus Foligno. And then Minnesota bought out Tyler Ennis a year later. And then he gave us 12 goals on the fourth line only to go to Ottawa for 800K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leafs, Leafs, Leafs. <laughs> you do realize Nick Patan is not a fourth liner, right? Hey, I've, I, you know I hate Nick Patan. You don't, don't go at me at that one. You go on Twitter for that take. So one other thing uh, relating to this trade that I want to get to before we move on is... This sort of kind of points the Sabres a lot more heavily towards wanting to trade Rasmus Ustalainen. He's been in trade rumors before, and, you know, he doesn't carry a crazy cap hit, 5.4. He's a right D. He's a 24. He probably has a lot of trade value. But, I mean, the, one of the main issues, I think, for Ristolainen, and correct me if I'm wrong, is just a lot of defensive lapses and just general inconsistency in his game. Yeah, he he does have inconsistency in his game, but that's because he's being forced to play like a 1D. He's playing so many minutes. He's playing hard, hard minutes. And that's just not really what he is. And Buffalo's kind of been, for a lack of better options for a long time, he's just had to take like a stupid amount of minutes for as good as he is. It's a lot like what happened to Justin Schultz in Edmonton. Where he comes in, he shows this immediate promise. And he gets so far ascended up the depth chart to where he's being reliant on things that are not in his skill set. I think you kind of put Ristolainen in a, in a better position where he can produce offensively and he's not being relied upon so much to go out there and skate 26 minutes against the first and the second line of the opposing team. You're going to get good results, especially for 5.4 million. Yeah, I'm going to kind of... I like I'm going to touch on the CC... Um extension a little bit later because i wrote a little piece for our leafs on it but um i think risto's a guy 
where he's literally he, like Steck says, he's on a team that is asking him to be something that he's not, which is a top line shutdown guy where he's going up against guys like Austin Matthews, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, night in, night out with a team that doesn't have a lot of supporting talent around him. Like, I don't know, did he play on Dallin's pair this year? But either way, he's never been surrounded by a good D partner. And now they finally, they have Miller, they have um, Montour, they have Dallin. Then now they acquire Yogi Haru. It's like they're finally building a decent decor around him, and now they're going to trade him. I just, I kind of hope for the guy that he goes to a team where he at least has a solid partner so he can at least show his abilities a little bit because I think quality of competition, I mean, sorry, quality of teammates is underrated a little bit as a statistic. Like, you can't perform as a defenseman if you're given a guy on your side on on your pairing that doesn't allow you to perform to the best of your abilities. Like it's not going to happen. But I'm thinking with Risto, it's been a lot of he's been on this team that has struggled for the better part of a decade now, maybe even a little bit more than a decade, and he's he's been put in a literal. Like it's it's a firing hole at him because he's on the top pair. He's always trying to go against the other team's top lines, and he's asked to do way too much. But that's my take on him. I think he'll do better if he gets away from the Sabers. But if he stays with the Sabers with the defense core they have now, I honestly think he might be a decent defenseman. But we'll see what happens going forward. Keeping with the Sabers, and I want us to get to some of the UFA signings that have happened because uh, in the weeks time that. You know, it's been since we released the last episode. There has been a number, of, but the, the Sabres, they didn't stop with just getting Henry Yokiharyu. They also went ahead and signed Marcus Johansson to a two-year deal worth $4.5 million. I don't hate this deal. It's fine. He's a decent player. Right? I think it's a good get. I don't, like, well, how old is Johansson now? He's, what, 30? No, he's uh, 28. 28. Yeah. Like, I think that's a perfect deal for him. Like, he'll so he'll t- take this. I think he'll produce. Like, he'll be on a top line. He's either going to play with what Eichel or who's their second line center now? God, why am I uh, middle step? Middle. So, oh, is he really their second line center? Oh, sure not. is. Is it? Oh, oh god. Then what's Sam Reinhardt doing? He's I mean, on. He might be at center. It, is he, he on, did it a little he on bit? Eichel's wing. He was for a bit. Yeah, that's what I thought he was doing. But either way, I think Johansson's betting – like he's a little bit like Wayne Simmons kind of betting on himself type of thing. But at the same time, he's – like he's got two years on Simmons where he's 28. and So he'll get out at 30. And like he can get a four- or five-year deal if he performs well enough with Buffalo. And I think he can based on at least his skating. Yeah, I thought like the, the camp hit on them made a lot of sense to me for a player of Johansson's talent. The years were a little lower than I expected, but that seems to have kind of been the case a lot with a lot of deals this year, is that people are either getting term or they're getting cat pit. Or if you're Brandon Tanev, you can get both. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, like, I like the deal. It seems a little weird for me for Johansson. Like, clearly he's betting on himself, and he's betting on himself to stay healthy. If I was Johansson, I would have taken slightly less of a cat pit for more years. But he's never been afraid to move around. He's on, this is what, his fourth NHL team now? Yeah, he's been on Washington, the Devils, the Bruins, and this is the fourth, yeah. So he, he's not afraid of moving around. And 
you know, I don't know his family life or whatever, but if he doesn't have, like, a kid or, like, a family like that, what's, but I what's wonder, the chase the money? It's not to get off of Mojo, but, like, because I just want to touch on this. Like, so with him signing two years, Wayne Simmons absolutely shocked me with the one year. Like, so Simmons signs for one year, Mojo signs for two years. I'm the only thing that's going through my head is is Jay Gardner going to sign for one year because it is that's going if if these guys are signing for a short term to bet on themselves coming off a back injury I don't think Gardner is going to get as high as he thought he was going to get maybe I'm going off track here yeah the Gardner situation is one that we're still waiting on we haven't really ha- heard anything from from Gardner's camp who he's talking to what the contract you know what the contract he's looking for so i i think the theory that he's waiting for the leafs like is probably the case i don't think it's happening it, it but... might not happen i doubt that it would happen also but there has to be a reason why he's not signed because he's a great guy great player it just kind of depends on the back injury like what is this like i i realize on his exit interviews they talked like to my understanding his back injury wasn't an issue he didn't need surgery, like it was going to heal itself through rehab. Maybe that's an issue. Maybe that's something that's come out. I don't think waiting for the Leafs, there's any merit to that. Because there's no one left to the Leafs to move. The money they have left is going to Mana. And that's kind of it. Like There isn't really a way I could see them to make space to bring God in the back. Yeah, I don't like jump. Just jumping on that, I don't see it either. Um, but like my, like I just kind of feel like Gardner probably thought because he's come. He's literally, uh, he's not well, not this year, but last year he was a fifty point D man. And when you're a fifty point D man hitting the open market, you're probably expecting six to seven million, and you're expecting it with terms. So I was probably he. What he was probably thinking is he's going to get his payday, and the problem is. He's the opposite of Marner. He doesn't have a fucking dragger pumping his tires up. He has a bunch of people saying that he's terrible defensively, this and that. And he's one of the most polarizing. I think I might have said this on the last podcast, but whatever, I'll repeat it. He's one of the most polarizing players I've ever seen. He's overrated, in my opinion, by the analyst community. He's underrated by the casual hockey fan. He's a good 2-3 guy. Especially if you get him as a three guy, I think he's a really good fit. I just, I, I can't believe he's not signed yet. And the more he waits, the more I think he's getting two years. Like something like that. Like a bet on myself type of deal. Wherever he goes, I hope that he enjoys it there. And I hope that he's happy just because the way that he went out, not so much in the playoffs, but definitely in the regular season with just Maple Leafs fans literally booing specifically him is a really tough thing and are you taking a shot at our fan base baby i'm not (laughs) not taking a shot at your fan base don't call me baby guy (laughs) hey guy don't call my baby baby guy let's keep let's keep moving let's move on to michael ferland who signs with canucks he got four years with an average value of 3.5 i don't know what to think of this contract personally I really like it for Vancouver. For me, the issue is the term. Like, it's a lower, it's a low enough cap hit that it's probably not going to be an issue. But I don't know. I just, and part of it comes just 
to honestly not having a whole lot of exposure to Michael Furland. He honestly was a guy who kind of just came, at least on my radar, kind of out of nowhere a few years ago. Um, when his contract was expiring with the Flames, and then he ended up being moved in the Dougie Hamilton trade, there was like just a whole bunch of there was a whole bunch. There was a whole bunch of talk about Michael Furland, and it was just for some reason it was a player that never actually went on my radar. So I don't know too much about the guy, but what I do know about the guy is that he's definitely a more physical guy. He's definitely a crash and bang type of player, and even though he's 27. Still, at four years, you're, it's still a bit of a risk because his body could still degrade a fair amount. Yeah, for me, I really like the deal for Vancouver. Like, I, I understand they will have some camp interest in a couple of years with the recapture that's come in, and then they've got to get new deals for Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. But for, for me, I think that they've kind of been searching for that type of guy for a while because there was always the talk about the Lucic for Ericsson deal. Like the your bad contract for my bad contract thing, well, and even I before think before that, even before he had signed in Edmonton, one of the main spots that he was rumored to go to was Vancouver. Yeah, like they have always valued that type of like a more physical player who can work with certain top six lines. He he, they've really been searching for that type of guy, and I think Furland is that for them. And he comes at a cheaper cost with less term. Who do you think he's going to play with? I don't know. I'm I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work out. I think he'd work great with someone like Horvat, who, you know, Furland, he has an okay shot. His hands aren't anything special unless he's got them balled up and he's throwing them at your face. But he's going to stand in front of the net and he's going to take a beating and pucks will go in off him. And that's kind of what they wanted. They wanted that guy that's going to be a bit of a shit disturber for them. Who's our, the, who's our 3C again? Is it? Who's Sutter. That? That, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Might not um, be a fit there, but... Here's a fun thing for you. Uh, Brandon Sutter had his dick on Pittsburgh television once. Go Google that one, guys. Um, today you learn on today's... Not Safe for Work Hockey Podcast. Yeah, make sure you put that one in a private browser. <laughs> um, <laughs> the problem with Furland is that, yes, he's only 27. He's an old 27. His body doesn't even hold up now. And... Not to speak too far out of term, but he is a former alcoholic, and that does damage to your body. So that, plus the physical style he plays, I think this is really his last hurrah in terms of a contract. I think by the time he's 31, he I, is, his body is going to be struggling. I don't have a problem with Ferlin at 3.5. I got a problem with Ferlin at 3.5 when you got Roussel and Beagle on the books at 3 each. <laughs> like for most of that contract and when you got to resign guys and shout out Levo 20 goal scorer is coming up on a UFA year to next year he's going to get paid no I'm just memeing there but like it's 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 it does like Benning like some of Benning's deals I love like the trading Benning when he makes a trade he's actually a really good GM I just don't trust Jim Benning in UFA that's the guy I don't trust but that's One maybe point me. about Jim Benning that I've seen, uh, specifically from the hockey guy on YouTube, is that Jim Benning is very good at evaluating when talent has run its course. You could look at something like the the Hunter Shinkarik thing. He looks at the guy and he says, you're not ever going to make the NHL, but you still have a perceived value in the NHL, so he 
moves him for an actual roster player, and that deal works out great. Something like, I believe so, it was, was it the Michael De- Michael Delzato for Luke Shen? Swap yeah, that was... two washed-up guys, but Luke Shen is actually able to play on the Canucks on their bottom pairing as a seventh defenseman, and he does pretty well. I think Jim Benning so, uh, is underrated in terms of his trading. For so sure. why didn't he... Why didn't he trade Jay Beagle at last year's trade deadline then? Because no one's trading for Jay Beagle. <laughs> well, that's okay, the problem that's with Jim Benning point. is that that's he went ahead. Benning. The problem with Jim Benning is just that he went ahead and signed Jay Beagle to a bad contract. He signed two really terrible contracts. Like, I didn't like, what was it? How it was do the, you... the Jay Beagle contract and... Tim Shala. Antoine Shala. Shala. Antoine Rousseau well. was the guy that I'm thinking of. Just like, not $3 million, you gave him term for, and they gave him, I'm seeing it here on Cap Friendly, you gave him both modified no-trade clauses. Like, Carolina lost Furland. Uh, they gained the Zingle. He signed um, on July 12th. He signed for two years at $3.375 million. Uh, what are your thoughts on this contract? I think it's a good deal. I like Ryan Dezingle. He is a good... He's like a middle six type of player. He can he can play on your special teams if you need to. And I think Carolina... I don't know about their penalty kill. On their power play, I think they should be okay. I don't know that they need him. But on their penalty kill, I think he's a useful player. Um, in terms of the money, I mean... Yeah, I think for, I think for a guy like Dezingle, who he can play through your lineup. He's a bit like Ferland in that way where he can he can play higher if you need him to, but ideally you wouldn't want him to. For two years at under three and a half, it's a pretty good deal, and I like what Carolina's been doing in touching up their depth this offseason with getting Eric Halla, with getting Ryan Dezingle, with getting Sebastian Ajo. I mean, that's a great get for them. <laughs> Montreal Canadiens legend Sebastian Ajo. Um... Yeah, I, I like the deal. Uh, the Zingle, his market kind of dried up. Like, when he went to Columbus, he was bad. He was not good. He he was okay in the regular season. He was disastrous in the playoffs. You and take I was reading that as well about Tort's favorite player. <laughs> uh, but, like, Aaron Portsline, who's the beat writer for The Athletic at Columbus, talked about how he kind of just didn't really fit into that room either. He kind of was, like... He never really like expanded on the specifics of it, but he talked about how he never really fit in. Um, it was just kind of a difficult transition for him, and that kind of happens sometimes. And it sucks for guys when they go to hit free agency. For Dezingle, it's not the end of the world, because he's only 27. He's only been in the league like four or five years at this point. He's not got too many miles on his body. He doesn't play a particularly physical style. I think this is a good bet-on-yourself deal. It's like the Johansson one. Come in at a low, lower money short term really just prove your worth so in those two years you know we we have um seattle coming in by the time that contract expires that'd be a pretty good get for seattle that's a good perspective on it i think that's something actually that is kind of going under the radar for a lot of these signings just because like we mentioned there's a lot of low term being thrown around so there could be a huge wave of players uh, you know, going into free agency around the time that Seattle is coming in, either on their first or second year. 
So they could yeah. they could kind of have their work cut out for them a little bit in terms of filling out the roster if the expansion draft isn't as kind to them as it was for Vegas. Yeah, and it's kind of a nice thing for the teams as well because it's kind of like not really a known thing of the expansion draft, but it happened with Derek Englund with uh, Calgary. If the expansion team signs one of your pending UFAs, that's your pick. Done. Like, you don't need to give up another player. You don't need to work out some sort of ridiculous deal where you give them a prospect so they don't touch your fourth defenseman. Like, for for teams like Carolina that may encounter some issues with protection lists, especially on their back end, um, you know, you're going to have this chance of them to look at a Dezingle who's put up 50, 60 points, potentially, and gone, hang on, that's the guy we want. I just think um, one of the, uh, I think one of the other, we've been touching on the UFAs taking shorter terms, but I think a couple other reasons that they might be doing it is one for obviously the TV deal slash lockout shit. They might not want to lock themselves in before all that crazy stuff happens. And two would be that expansion draft. I don't know. They might want to have another league or no, sorry, another team in the league to just add some demand to players. And the second reason would be the CBA negotiations. Obviously, when the whole new CBA gets negotiated, there might be different salary terms that might be more player-friendly if the NHL and the NHLPA actually takes a strong stance on negotiations. Who knows what the players are going to get? Um, obviously, they don't have as big a step as the NFLPA to with the fucking whole guaranteed salaries thing, but if they can get some more guaranteed HRR stuff, they might have some success with, you know, getting better contracts for their players. So that's, uh, it's, it's a lot of issues, but as far as I'm concerned, if players take shorter deals, they're probably looking to payday in a couple of years. So that's my logic on it. Logic on it. Anyways, going from, Going to another short-term deal, I, I think this one is probably like the the weirdest one out of any of the contracts that have been signed so far, and that would be Kevin LeBanc signing with the San Jose Sharks for one year at one million dollars, coming off a fifty-six point season. Let's just be clear. Exactly, this contract is crazy. I cannot. He needs to fire his agent. Dear God, oh he God. needs to just. That guy needs to get, like, decertified with the NHL Players Association. That is a brutally bad contract. Hire Brandon Tennant's agent. Yes, do it. I just I just can't see how this will work out in Kevin LeBanc's favor. Like, sure, the cap will go up a little bit. Sure, guys like Brandon Dillon or Melker Carlson will have their contracts expired. But that's really only going to be at least in terms of the contracts expiring, that's only about $6 million. And it's not like Kevin LeBanc is going to be the only guy who the Sharks are going to need to sign. They need to have other players on this team, and they're already really close up against the cap. They have only about $4.6 million left. And I don't know, though, that might be with or without some players still needing to be signed. But regardless... If this is another bet-on-yourself type of contract, this is a terrible bet because Kevin LeBanc, there's probably not going to be enough money for the Sharks that come next year. If you improve on your point totals, which was already 
if I'm being honest, I don't really know that Kevin LeBanc can keep up that point production. He the season before he did 40 in 77. This year he did 56 in 82. It seems like an upward trajectory, but even if that type of play, even if even if his level of play kind of plateaus, he's still going to be about a 60 point player, and the Sharks are not going to have enough money to be able to keep him. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's they've kind of had a weird off season. Because kind of going like a little bit further, like if you talk about uh, Timo Meyer's contract, um, and that's just a very weird deal because although it's out in the future, his last year of his six million dollar average salary is ten million. So his qualifying offer in his final RFA year is going to be ten million dollars. So you ha- you sort of you're having these issues coming further down the road. And the big problem for them is until 2025, they have Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and Mark Edward Vlasic signed for long, long, long term and a lot of money. Yeah, the three, of them, the three of them combined are signed for $26.5 million. For three players on your defensive core to take up $26 million is mind blowing. And like that's I not would even under considering that they have Evander Kane who signed at seven million, Logan Couture who signed at that time, and then of course Timo Meyer who's at six million. Those, let's say those those six players, are counting for roughly forty forty eight million dollars of their cap. And that's kind of like I, I it's better to overplay overpay your stars, but I just I look at those deals on the back end. I look at those ages, like, Brent Burns is 34, Mark Edwards Vlasic is 32, Eric Carlson is 29, but his body is much older. Like, none of those deals are going to age well. And how do you really get around them? Like, even if you use LTIR, that is, uh, like, you are asking so much of those depth players. And yeah, maybe they think very highly of some of their prospects they think really highly of like um alexander chemilevsky i don't even think we mentioned the worst deal of them all which is kind of funny and it's martin jones he is not a 5.75 million dollar goal and i will back that statement with stats all day but that he is not worth that money like he like if you look at gsaa and a lot of other stats, like high danger save percentage, he's a below average goalie. And he does step his game up in the playoffs a little bit, but like he at 29, I don't think he's going much higher. And he's signed for, what is it, five more? He's signed for five more, that 5.75. I don't think he's worth that money at all. And I, if Eric Carlson can play to Eric Carlson level, I don't like the Vlasic or Burns deals at all for the term, but if Eric Carlson can play to Eric Carlson level, he's worth, he's worth doubting money and he got doubting. But Martin Jones is not worth that money, in my opinion, at least. And the worst thing of all that we haven't mentioned yet, of the contracts that we mentioned, so that was Couture, Kane, Meyer, Carlson, Burns, Vlasic, and Martin Jones, only one player, and that's Timo Meyer, and I believe that's only because he wasn't eligible for it, have some type of trade protection. Couture, Kane, Burns... And Jones have a modified no trade clause, and Vlasic, Carlson, yeah, Vlasic and, and Carlson have no move clauses. Like, 
these contracts, sure, they're two good players. It may be, you know, Martin Jones notwithstanding, but there are bad contracts that you will probably not be able to move. Like, it, it's just kind of a... It, it's interesting because I don't... They like that prospect, but I don't see a, a true, like, top-level prospect in there. And no one's getting any younger. That bubble is going to burst sooner rather than later. I'd be very interested to see how Doug Wilson really handles that one. Yep, it's it's a it's a weird situation in San Jose. I think San Jose, we're waiting on it still, but they they are the last pillar of the three California teams. Where at a time four years ago or so, all of them were very good. All of them had legit shots at winning the cup, and San Jose is the last holdout of that. But give them a, give them two years, give them three years. Pretty soon, all those California teams are gonna be pretty trash. So we'll take a break for now, and when we come back, we'll touch on the weird situation with Don Cherry, the extensions that the Leafs made to Kerfoot CC, some Montreal quick moves, and just quickly chat about the remaining UFAs and RFAs that haven't been signed yet as of today, which is uh, July 14th. So we'll be back. Stay tuned. Puck Addicts Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Puck Addicts Podcast. So we've talked a bit about uh, UFAs and their situation, RFAs, weird stuff going on, but I want to I go ahead and take a break from the on-ice news, and let's talk about a weird situation from the media perspective uh, involving Don Cherry. So there was an article that came out from Steve Simmons where basically he was uh, saying... Although he did say it was unconfirmed, he wasn't reporting it as truth, but he was saying that he was expecting Don Cherry not to return next year to CBC's Hockey Night in Canada for him not to be on Coach's Corner. And the whole situation came as a big shock to a lot of people just because Don Cherry, I mean, if he was, if this last season really was his last season, we would have known about it. He would have had some type of, you know, send off episode something like that, and it just never happened. So when this news came out, a whole lot of people were, you know, completely floored, either because they loved Don Cherry and they're sad to see him go, or because they absolutely despised Don Cherry, and those guys must have been celebrating in the streets up until Don Cherry came out to uh, clear the air on the situation and say that what Steve Simmons shockingly was saying is not true. And I think we're all surprised because... If anything, Steve Simmons is one of the most respected writers in all of Toronto sports. Do you want me to murder you through a headset? Is that... Well, they don't call him Steve Pulitzer Simmons for nothing. Yeah, they saw him Steve fucking hot dog Simmons because we want to shove a hot dog down his throat every time he fucking opens his mouth. Um, but yeah, I think we don't have too much to say about the Don Cherry thing just because a whole debate on... You know, if you love him or if you hate him, can kind of go off the rails. But I think it definitely so, would have been weird if Don Cherry didn't get some type of send off, just because he's been with the program for so long. And I don't know. He's if, been, you know, he's been like a staple of the program. The I don't know if either of you want to. I don't know if either of you want to touch on it, but yeah, basically, like 
Cherry, he's a very much love him or hate him type of guy. I grew up in a household. My dad, my dad always listened to him, so he was always the type that told me to shut up when Don Cherry was on. I grew up around that type of household. I learned to just grow into it's a comedy sketch on Coach's Corner. If you treat it like a comedy sketch, it's actually pretty entertaining. Like, I swear to God, his stuff is better than SNL most of the time. It's pretty funny. Like, when he was trying to pronounce Kuznetsov the other year, I was literally crying in my bed laughing. Like, at the end of the day, I'm not a big Don Cherry guy. I don't, like, a lot of the views that he has on hockey, I don't agree with. I think he has some sort of knowledge of the game that still is a little bit relevant but it's very few and far between in terms of what he says on air and to it's to the point where i literally almost try to tune him out but at the same time i just laugh at what he says um but long story short i think he does deserve at least a send-off he's been a staple on the air for two decades now i think it is no matter what you think of it it's like Bob Cole. A lot of people hate Bob Cole. I'm a Bob Cole guy. I fucking love Bob Cole. I love that he got a send-off. I'm sure there's a lot of people that hate Bob Cole, just like they hate Don Cherry. And But he's been a staple in Canadian households for two decades. And so, you know what? At the end of the day, that deserves a little bit of respect. And it might upset reddit because i know there's the whole xenophobia fucking he's a fucking racist and all that he all is that so. shit yeah, you know yeah. he, he he might be though so you know he might be i know he might be and he can't pronounce a goddamn russian name to save his life but the whole thing is that he, a lot of people grew up on him so it is what it is and i'm not promoting that shit but i I don't know. He's a Canadian. He's uh, in some terms. He's he's a staple of Canada. Max. I know Max Domi tweeted out that not a lot of people have done the same. The game of hockey in Canada is Don Cherry's on. And you know, there's a lot of kids that grew up wanting to be on Coach's Corner, and they watched Doug Gilmore kiss. They wanted to be on that show, and it is what it is. That's my piece on it. I don't really care to comment on his social values or whatever else he represents. I'm just saying in terms of knowledge in hockey, he's been on our tubes for two decades and he deserves a, at least a little bit of a send-off. And if you want to debate how big that stage is, you can go ahead. But I'm just saying it deserves more than I, we're firing you in the offseason. That's my piece on it. I agree 100%. I think, you know, yeah, love, everything that we're going to say about Don Cherry is basically <laughs> prefaced with love him or hate him. But yeah, love him or hate him, he is, at least among Canadians, one of the most famous and well-known Canadians in the world. So I, I just think the whole, I think the whole idea that he would have his segment canceled out of the blue is just ridiculous, but you know. It is what it is. Yeah. The stacks, stacks as an outsider, do you have anything to comment on that one? Um, I really can't stand him. I don't I see know. his value. Yeah. I don't see like someone being on your television for time doesn't make them worthy of any particular respect. Um, if Max Domi is your guy who's defending you, you know that kind of illustrates uh, where I think you fall. Um, 
yeah. I just, Any I, and all Max Domi slander is banned on this podcast. <laughs> so shall we talk about what he said following the uh, the van attack in Toronto? Shall we discuss what oh, Max Christ, Domi said? That I don't want to get on that. Oh, this is God. a family. That's not a family podcast. You're a fucking family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's definitely enough about Don Cherry. Um, but Marino, you did want to talk about the moves that the Leafs made uh, in terms of re-signing their two newly acquired players, that being Alex Kerfoot and Cody Cece. We were expecting them to get new deals, but now they have them. So. What are your takes? What's your take on these two contracts? So, just, yeah, I'll just quickly touch. I want to mainly touch on CC here, but I'll touch on Kerfoot a little bit. Um, just the Kerfoot deal, it kind of makes sense to me. He's good. I think he's going to be our 3C. The value kind of makes sense where it's in the terms of the Janssen, um, Cappy, kind of length and AAV type shit. And he's he put up, what, 45 points last year-ish? And he's uh, he can play center, which drives his value up a little bit. So it doesn't that deal doesn't bother me at all. I like that deal. It hopefully we can resign one of Muzzin or Barry even with that deal. But if not, if we can't resign one of Muzzin or Barry, that's going to hurt. But that's a different story for another day. The CC extension now. So hockey Twitter loves to bash on Cody freaking CC. Now, kind of inspired by Stex, actually, I will admit, um, this deal that happened with Zaitsev got me inspired to write a piece for our Leafs, and I wrote a piece, and basically, when I examined it, I honestly think that Cody CC is a better player than Nikita Zaitsev, period, and I will stand by that statement. The guy... Put, the guy doubled Zaitsev's goals per 60 last year. The guy put up significantly higher points per 60 last year. He didn't get much power play time. He put up 10 more primary assists than Nikita Zaitsev. And fun fact, Nikita Zaitsev had one primary assist last year. And when did that happen? It was in Tampa Bay, and he put the puck off a camera on a clearing attempt on a Zach Hyman empty net goal. Yes, he had one primary assist, and that's how he got fucking Toronto Maple Leafs, who had Austin Matthews, John Tavares, etc. And CC put up better REL numbers in terms of Corsi for goals for expected goals for etc. etc. He had a lower PDO. Literally, CC had better numbers than Nikita Zaitsev last year, period. He had slightly easier zone starts. He had slightly easier quality of competition, but he had way worse teammates. And when I mean way worse teammates, here are Nikita Zaitsev's five most common line mates. They are Jake Gardner, Patrick Marlowe, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, Kasperi Kapanen, and his sixth most common lineman was Jake Muzzin, who was the guy acquired the trade headline. Cody Cece's five most common linemates are Maxime Lejeau, Zach Smith, Chris Tierney, and Magnus PRV, or sorry, and Mark Stone. So the best thing that was going to for him got traded to Vegas. And these guys played these same guys. They had the same fucking common opponents. Zaitsev had common opponents of Barkov, Huberto, Atkinson, Krejci, Stamkos, Kucherov. CC had opponents of Matthews, Stamkos, Kucherov, JT Miller, Phil Kessel, Nylander, 
Like these guys were asked to shut down the top lines of other teams. So when I look at the stats, I honestly think that if you give CC a proper where you're not playing him 22, and I repeat, 22 minutes a night, you are going to get an okay player. By the way, 22 minutes a night, ranked 42nd in the five guys ahead of him in that category, Eric Gustafson, Leon Dreisaitl, P.K. Subban, Victor Hedman, and Connor frickin' McDavid. The Sens asked way too much of this guy. They weren't asking him, and they were playing him with a rookie. The two most common defense pairings that he had were Lejeune and Shabbat. They weren't asking him to do a normal man's job. They were asking him to do a goddamn Bobby Orr job, play with AHL offensive forwards and a rookie defenseman, and shut down other teams' top lines. This guy was overplayed to shit. Like, if any, and the the best part about it is Lee fans who always defended Zaysev would always point to, oh, he had hard minutes. If anybody in the NHL had hard Zaysev, it was Cody freaking CC. But anyways, that's kind of my rant on that whole thing. I think CC at one point, at 4.3 million, if you play him in a little bit of a sheltered role behind Muzzenberry beside Riley on and against second lines and no more than like 21 minutes a night he might actually be able to prove that he's fucking dumpster fire that hockey twitter thinks he is and he might actually put up respectful numbers and that's my whole shpick about that what I will say is there's an issue there and it's you thinking Tyson Barry can take on the first line that's gonna be the issue leave my narrative you bastard Let's go. Sex for... ruins everything. Sex, sex is like the fun police. He doesn't let me have. He's like the. He's like the. He just comes at me with dubious hating Leafs propaganda, and I'm just like, I don't have an answer for you, sex. Screw off. Tyson Barry's a right-handed Jake Gardner. I know that. I've been telling everybody that, and I can't wait my dad to see it because he's gonna yell at the TV. <laughs> so I think we should move on to, not a contract in the NHL, but. A contract in the KHL, the subject of this being the infamous Slava Voinov. Ooh, good old Slava Voinov. So, everyone's favorite convicted, wife-beating piece of shit, Slava Voinov. <laughs> so he's signed a deal in the KHL, very recently applied to be reinstated to the NHL after he was convicted of violently assaulting his wife, fleeing down to a lesser case, serving 45 days in jail, voluntarily deporting himself back to Russia. So his record has been expunged. So for the purposes of legal standing, he has not himself committed any crime. That record's expunged. It no longer exists. However, USCIS, who handles all immigration to the U.S., uh, trust me, I know, dear God, they took so much of my money, they can kind of consider whatever they want. So yes, that record may be expunged for the purposes of legal proceedings, but for USCIS, that's not necessarily expunged. Now, he may have signed with Avangard, I believe it is. So the report is coming from Igor Renko, who is uh, Russia Today, I believe, is who he works for. He's a 
journalist who usually works in hockey. Uh, he has a pretty good track record. He's pretty good most of the time, but nothing's confirmed because trying to get news anywhere in Russia is super difficult. So Slava Voinov suspended for a year by the NHL, um, which was a pretty strong stance for a league to take, uh, especially when you consider what the NFL does for domestic violence. Uh, so they suspend. Basically, they do nothing. They give them a game and say, but again, and they do it again. Um, slap on the wrist and, oh no, they did it again. I wonder how. What a shock. What a surprise. Just shock. So, uh, he got suspended for a year that was supposed to be the entirety of 18, uh, sorry, for the uh, uh, nineteen twenty season, is what he was supposed to be suspended for. Everyone's favorite overreaching arbitrator, Cheyenne Das, decided that that gets to, a, gets to be 41 games of the just-played season and 41 games of the future season. Basically, he is currently suspended by the NHL. If he does happen to sign in the KHL, have to go through re-entry waivers um, to come back into the NHL, having played overseas in the same uh, league year and his contract not expiring yet. There's also reports that he's just not that good anymore, which would be just such a shame. I mean, couldn't have happened to at least just such a terrible human being. We will see what happens with that. I suspect... Um, Although there are probably one or two teams who'd be willing to take that PR risk to bring him in if they thought he would be an answer to their questions. At the end of the day, he's, by all accounts, not the same player he was. Um, you know, he played for SKA, uh, St. Petersburg, in the KHL, and he did okay. But he didn't do amazing, considering how stacked that team is, so... It's something worth monitoring to see if he does sign that contract, because if he does, that indicates he's probably not coming back for the 1920s, but for 2020 onwards, he would be eligible to play in the league. And I'm just hoping, on a prayer, that somewhere, somehow, NHL teams do not hire a man who put his fucking wife in the hospital. Yeah, there was... And I don't really know how serious of a concern it was, but when the rumors surrounding Voinov potentially wanting to come back to the NHL, you know, were fresh. It just felt like every single team's fan base was kind of chasing their own tail, running around, just being like, oh my God, what if we signed Slava Voinov? Like, that would be terrible. And not that I disagree with them. I think it would be terrible. It's just, I don't really know how much of a real concern that is. Like, the NHL is a business, and I don't think the guys who are running these teams are that dumb. Like, they're dumb enough to give, you know, Milan Lucic an Albatross contract, but I don't think they're dumb enough to give Slava Voinov a contract. At least I hope not. I would hope not, but I also... I don't think it would have that much of an impact on the bottom line at the end of the um, You know, the amount of money that I contribute to the NHL isn't that much at the end of the day. And unless sponsors and the TV deal, you know, if they kick up a fuss, maybe something changes. If some fans kick up a fuss, probably they probably would be like, you know what, we'll take a slight hit there. But if we're winning come the playoffs, people are going to come back. Yeah, because if there's one thing we know, though, about online fan boycotts is that they always work. 
<laughs> yeah, and like that's kind of the thing, and it happens a lot on Twitter and Reddit, things of that nature, is that that's a very select audience. That is not the majority of an NHL audience. No. I remember, speaking of Reddit, I remember when everyone got up in arms. Um, I think the outrage at that time was about the banning of r slash fat people hate. And people got so upset that that subreddit got banned that they were like, yeah, I, we'll just make our own sub, or we'll make, we'll make our own website. And of course that never took off. Let's move on now. I think this will be the last thing we touch on, but Stex, there have been a lot of moves that the Penguins have made recently. We have the Phil Kessel trade, we have the Brandon Tanev con- uh, contract. So we want to get your take on this. Season ended terribly. Uh, getting swept by the Islanders was basically my idea of hell. Um, between their enthusiastic fan base, let's say, <laughs> and um, Lou Lamorello's continued existence as an NHL executive, um, I was very upset of all teams to be swept by. It was them. That was rough. Things did need to change. Something had got stale. Trading matter for Cah- uh, for Cahoon, great deal. Really happy with that. Trading Castle was kind of a necessary evil. I love Phil Castle. I love everything about that man. I love how little of a shit he gives. Um, I know I, I respect that he is just clinging to that hairline so hard. Um, <laughs> Phil Castle definitely is the type of guy I could see wearing a toupee in the future. I don't think he cares enough to wear a toupee. He would just rock it. Like, I, I love the guy, but at the end of the day, something had to change, and you're not trading Latang because there is no way you get back a player as good as him. Or you get back a package that makes sense to move him, because nobody on the Penguins can take those minutes. Um, you can't move Malkin. He's got to not move. You're not moving Crosby. Who's next? Cassie. What do you think about the return, though, that you got for Phil Kessel? It was Alex Galchenyuk and prospect Pierre-Olivier Joseph. I think that's the correct, the French way that you would say that. But, but what do you think about the return? Like, is that enough for Phil Kessel? For a guy who the season before had a 90-something point season and last season had was squarely point per game. And, one thing about, and another thing about Kessel, I mean, he never misses a game. Like... For me, from my perspective, at least, just quickly, since I am a Habs fan and I have, you know, been exposed to Alex Galchenyuk's play, he's super inconsistent, and whether you think that's a product of him being bounced around the lineup so much is up for debate, but the fact is, he is not as good a point producer as Phil Kessel, and he may be close if he gets to play with Malkin and Crosby, which of course he probably will be, but from my perspective, I wouldn't like it, but... I want, I want to know what you think about it. I, like, understanding the context of how Castle used his eight-team trade list, the only viable option was to Arizona. So I do kind of want to commend Jim Rutherford on waiting and getting as good a deal as he possibly could have done there. Because, yeah, Galchenyuk is inconsistent, but so is Castle, like, so Phil Castle's at 5-on-5. Five five. He's not really been 
the player you thought he would be for the last couple of years. Um, you know, he's been exclusively a, a power play guy. And on a team that has Malkin and Crosby, you don't need a guy that's exclusively a PowerPoint quarterback. He's great at it. He's going to do wonders for Arizona in that regard. Um, but it's not really something the Penguins needed. The Penguins needed someone that could be there to put in the goals that Malkin and Crosby are going to get to him. You look at someone like James Neal, went and played on Malkin. Flipped over from the left to the right as a left-handed player. Was always in a position to just rip a one-timer. And he scores 40 goals. And it's not too far out of the realm of possibility that Galchenyuk gets back up to that 30-goal mark. Especially if he ends up playing on the right-hand side where he can one-time. I also really like Pierre Olivier, uh, Pierre Olivier. Joseph, Joseph, I don't know. I'm not French. I don't like the French. Get out of here. Um... I like him. He's got some issues with putting on weight, apparently. Uh, you know, we could be so lucky. But he's a good prospect. He can move the puck well. He's not a he's not like a a top pairing potential guy. But for somebody that could come in and become like a Brian Dumoulin type, they're going to be steady enough defensively. They're going to be able to move the puck well enough. Unlike the return, it's not perfect value. For Castle, it's kind of a difficult thing because of how he arranges trade list. But I think as returns go, it's a damn sight better than Jason Zucker and Victor Rask. Um, moving on to the Brandon Panev contract. Right, God, because, I... you, because you had mentioned, and I'm a little bit surprised, honestly, because you're one of the only people who I've actually heard say that they are okay with this contract. So I wonder, what, what's the deal with that, then? The term is kind of the least of the Penguins' concerns, honestly. There is, like, a, a solid window now of three to four years, if that, left where they can really make a run to win a cup here. And, frankly, everything that happens past that point really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what terrible contracts exist five years down the road. There's going to be a rebuild. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You gotta feel the team, you gotta hit that cap floor somehow. Um or you've gotta to threaten to move to Kansas City again, either or. Um so the term on Tanev really isn't a concern. It's quite a bit of money. The Penguins are now they have to trade something off their roster. Brian Dumoulin to the Leafs, please. No, I'm good. <laughs> I know you will tell me Jeremy Bracco is a great, <laughs> amazing player who's going to make the Penguins next level. What if I wanted. Well, according to Leafs Twitter, I mean, a package of Connor Brown, Jeremy Bracco, and a second can get you anyone in the league. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could get Latang with that package. Man, if they still had Andrew Nielsen, I'd be sprinting up to Toronto now. It doesn't matter if I'm technically not allowed to leave the U.S. right now because of the green card restrictions. I'd be doing it. Be worth it. <laughs> but seriously, who is who is who are the Penguins trading? It's going to be either Jack Johnson, Brian Rust, or Nick Bukestad. I'd be okay with Jack Johnson going. I don't have a problem with him, but the issue is when you have Jack Johnson and Eric Branson on the same 
blue line, you can't play those guys together. So you're kind of locked in to what pairings you can really play there, and it really fucks with your flexibility. Brian Rust, I would hate to trade him, because Brandon Tanev is pretty much the reason you brought in Brandon Tanev is to get another Brian Rust-type player who is flexible, very fast, works hard, not terrible hands, can kind of play up and down that lineup, great on the PK. You don't acquire, you don't go out and spend this money on Brandon Tanev to then trade Brian Rust when that's kind of like everything the Penguins have done this summer is to get faster. So that leads me to think Bukestad is the guy to go. He's got nice analytics. Uh, you know, the Penguins analytics people on Twitter are very, like, love him because he has this great, his, like, expected goals is really good. And you have this guy who's making 4.1 million. And yeah, he has these nice analytics. But those nice analytics don't result in him scoring more. They don't result in his line scoring that's quite a lot of money to pay for a guy who isn't producing for you. So for me, that's a guy I move. Because I think there are teams that would want him. He is a former 20-goal scorer. <clears throat> he is a big body, even if he doesn't use it. So I like him, but I'm going to pick him as the guy to go if I'm going to pick him. I think that just about covers it for today's episode. I want to thank Marino for coming back on again this uh, this time, and for Stex for for jumping in. He was a last minute addition. We were trying to, you know, have we were having some scheduling issues. So, uh, thanks to Stex for taking some time out of his night to come onto the show. But that about does it just for this episode of the Puck Addicts podcast. Remember, if you like the show, make sure to give it a share. You know, follow us on SoundCloud, leave a like. Uh, you can find us soundcloud.com slash puckaddicts and you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash puckaddictspod. We'll be putting links in the show notes so, you know, if you're too lazy to, you know, listen and type out what I'm saying, stuff will be there for you. But that just about does it. So thanks again, guys, for joining me and thank you guys for, for listening. See you next time.